from the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is The Relevant Podcast. It's Tuesday, January 28th. The year is 2020. You're listening to The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Huckabee. I'm coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee. Meanwhile, down there in Orlando, Florida, as usual, making sure that we go off the rails as soon as possible. It's our illustrious producer, Chandler String. Hello. (laughs) And meanwhile, up there in Loveland, Virginia, doing his best to make sure that we stay on track. He's got his eye on the prize. We're going to make it to the finish line in an hour on the nose. It's our friend, Jesse Carey. <laughs> hello, hello. That's right. I have a timer minutes. going. I am in a tank slowly filling with water at exactly the 60-minute mark. Someone will come need to pull the plug with me. I didn't really think about how I'm going to get out. It just seemed like a very fun, elaborate way to keep time. You know? So you have some uh, sort of like 1960s... I booby-trap myself. Like a like yeah. a Batman TV show situation where you're slowly like you're, you're slowly being you're gonna you're gonna die if things yeah. if, you don't, if you don't either escape <laughs> I, the, the, or we end on time or we do or we do a tight 60 minutes right and, on, uh, yeah, it's very tight very tight <laughs> for your safety I hope that that seems yeah. that just seems unlikely I just wanted to introduce an element <laughs> yeah. of risk I mean, I, this is like a fear factor type of episode today guys <laughs> well I don't know if Face you're gonna make it Jesse we got a lot on the show today We've we do <laughs> you picked a bad I, I just looked at the time. rundown. I just looked at the rundown, and I'm very, I'm actually nervous for my life. Uh, so, <laughs> you picked a bad day to debut. You're, uh, we we have some slow days. Uh, today's Fine not day one of them. <laughs> yeah, I should have just, I should have just podcast from inside a block of ice like David Blaine would have done. But no, I had to take it on. <laughs> <laughs> for one thing, we've got our friend Corey Asbury joining us. He's got a new book out. It's called Reckless Love, based on his runaway hit song. He'll be talking about that. We also have, oh, this is going to be fun. We have a preview of season two of the Called podcast. Called yeah. is coming back at long last. Can't wait to hear uh, the episodes that y'all have been putting together. And uh, for that, we're going to be hearing a little bit from Rebecca Lyons, uh, one of our friends, uh, a friend of the pod coming back on to talk, to talk about church leadership. It's a packed show. You know, we had Corey was on you know, it was only a couple of weeks ago, but he co-hosted the episode. But, you know, I had this other conversation. It was a real meat and potatoes type of thing, you know, and I felt bad because when we had him on, most of the time we ended up talking about uh, his, his drama with his Chick-fil-A card <laughs> and Chipotle <laughs> and awkward run-ins at service at worship services he's had before. So we thought, you know, let's get him on and let's 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 dig into the book here. Let's dig into some of this, uh, uh, you know, depth. And so I'm excited for Corey to be on. Today. Yeah, so I'm actually I'm I'm pumped to get to all these things. I'm sorry, Jesse, but but uh, we will find you know you're close to irreplaceable. But I'm sure we can find somebody to take your place if, if you end up. <laughs> oh, I'm drowning. sure. I'm sure. Yeah, if, yeah. And it's not a problem. Not worried about it. I'll try yeah. to keep things. I'm host, so it's my job to keep things moving as quickly as we can. But you know, sometimes. Sometimes the banter just gets going. The, the the ideas are popping. The mind is sparkling. The conversation is just Tyler, too hurry, fast. Hurry! <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up! Get to the next segment! 
<laughs> Jesse, Jesse, it's good to see you. You were, uh, you were, uh, you were out of the office yesterday. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was just me hanging out, hanging out by myself alone because you had a little field trip. I did. I went to a set visit. These are always fun. This is where you get to go and, and see a film in production. And, you know, hopefully we're going to be able to cover this this movie uh, down the road. It is the new Aretha Franklin biopic uh, that stars yeah. Jennifer Hudson and Forrest Whitaker plays her father. And I got to go to, yeah, the set. They're, they were filming actually yesterday in Atlanta at an old church in downtown Atlanta um, and got to be there, got to see them perform like a big kind of one of the big kind of musical numbers in in the film. They actually shot it yesterday and I got to be there on set. That's Being awesome. on a film set is such an enlightening thing. You're like, I feel like I, I have like, you know, ancillary knowledge, like basically watching television and watching movies of what it's like, you know? Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of moving parts happening there. And it took, so, it took so them wild. the entire day for what I can only imagine is going to be about three minutes of screen time. Like it is, it is a, it is a real game of patience, but it was a lot of fun and got to meet, uh, uh, Jennifer. She was, you know, such an incredible talent and such a cool person. And I'm really excited to see the movie when it comes out in October. I think we were talking about biopics, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago when we had propaganda on the yeah. podcast, yeah. we were going over musical bi- biopics and he was very, uh, uh, <laughs> I think his words were, if you're going to do an Aretha biopic, which he seemed to, to, as anybody would be, sort of nervous to tackle a legend yeah. of Aretha's status in a movie form. If you're going to do it, Jennifer Hudson is the one to get it done. And that oh, does yeah. seem like a good assessment to me. I'm I'm a little bit nervous because she, her her shadow is... Aretha's. I don't know if anybody casts casts a bigger yeah. shadow than Aretha Franklin over over pop music. Um, but she's, on, she's, she's one of the few. And uh, but, but I, if you're going to do it, you got to get Jennifer Hudson on board. And they got her about the one person that could make people be like, OK, I'm interested. Well, and not only not only that, she was handpicked by Aretha Franklin. Like right. before yeah, Aretha yeah, Franklin yeah. died, they were they were already in the process of like figuring out what a, a film about her life. And she said, if there's a film, it's got to be Jennifer Hudson who plays me. That's got to be a lot of that. pressure. I mean, that's that, got to be that cool. is a lot of pressure. But oh, they, yeah, it's a good they, you know, <laughs> the, the person handpicked you. No, but it, I, I'm really excited about the movie. It was it was a fun it was a fun visit and, you know, fun to see it all if you were, in the process. If, you know. if you were on your deathbed and Jesse, you kind of are right now. Essentially, I mean, we're already tank, we're already six minutes pool, into this whatever thing. You yeah. Say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's already looks like it's already up to your knees and we're just getting started. I think I've let the valve too loose because it is pouring <laughs> in far too fastly. We're going to be wrapped in a tight 20, I'm afraid. Okay. <laughs> but if you're on your deathbed and they come, come to you and they say, okay, Mr. Carey, we want to do a movie about your life, you, the many adventures that you had, uh, but but who do you want to play you? Who would you, who, who would you go for? Who's your person? I mean, the only the I would do like they did from that Bob Dylan movie where they would have like six different people, none of <laughs> none of whom look anything like me. You know what like, I mean? Yeah, I, just, like, I just want them to capture my essence. They like could be all elder. Japanese child, uh, <laughs> a, a woman, an elderly person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that's I, I would go for the more the more esoteric for my adventures. You know, and what about what about you? I mean, I, I feel like. You're, you're current. It's hard to not see you as like a Chris Evans because you are literally wearing the exact sweater from Knives Out. I am right wearing now. I'm wearing the Knives Out sweater inspired by the Knives Out. I, I, I went to uh, 
I, I actually saw Knives Out and I was like, I got to have that sweater. So I was part of the craze. I was part of the, the mad rush to get the yeah. Chris Evans sweater. I don't think it has, if you don't have the Chris Evans shoulders, then it just kind of looks like a dad sweater on you. <laughs> and I can embrace it. That's okay. <laughs> and that's okay. It's not a big deal. So I'm, so I'm working out the shoulders, wearing the sweater in the meantime. If you dream it, you can achieve it. I, I, but I like your idea of going, uh, of going uh, a little bit uh, of, of casting a lot of people taking ca- capturing my essence is more yeah. important than capturing my, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. My, my, I, I don't know if anybody could capture Listen, these features. I, we, could, we could, we could throw any male model up on the screen, yeah, you know, sure. and what they could you? reasonably pass for me, but the I, Gosling's, <laughs> the Chris Evans, the Ryan Reynolds, it's just very predictable. Yeah. It's just what people would predict. I'm just trying. Yeah, everybody, everybody knows they could, they could do it. And it yeah. would be bewitching. It would look just like, they're like, Oh man, it looked just like him. <laughs> yeah. But is that really what we want out of the Tyler Huckabee movie yeah. experience? I don't think so. Well, I Hey, so. I know we got a lot to get to. I know we got two guests coming up, but, uh, this weekend was the Grammys and, yeah. uh, uh, Tyler, you, you know, each year, I know you put together a list of your favorite releases and, and albums. Yeah, yeah. And, but what, what are your, just real quick, I want to know, and we didn't, re- we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I am curious if you have sort of a Grammys hot take this year, what did you think about, because I know there were some, you know, this year in particular, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, debate about whether the people who won were deserving or not. Do you do you have a Grammys take? Do you think the Grammys need to be fixed? I, yeah, I think like everybody does. I think the Grammys are I think it's the worst awards show. Yeah. A low bar to clear it because they it's just always so weird and the rules don't make sense. And well, yeah, I, I felt like it, 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 music it's you know pop music is in such like an interesting and weird place you know not just like kind of at the uh, you know trying to figure out what it looks like with like modern radio and streaming and what even is an album anymore does does the construct of an album even really matter anymore in the era of kind of singles and music but also just how like i feel like there are big you know, stars and celebrities, but I also feel like collaborations are so frequent and common now too, that like there's less and less of a distinction between a lot of artists. And it seems more like a big community. You know what I'm saying? Like it really does seem like positioning artists against each other. I don't know. It it, it Mm -hmm. still seems like, um, like a, a weird thing that we do. You know what I mean? Like, like making this a, 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 almost like a, uh, an athletic competition is still kind of odd. And I feel like it's gotten even more odd in sort of the internet era of music. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I think it's totally true. Like the horse race thing. I think a Grammy probably matters in some sense for some of these artists. I'm sure it opens up new doors and it's, it's a status thing. I'm sure it feels good to, to hold one, to win one. But I also feel like it would have been really easy. And I kind of thought it might happen this year with all the controversy surrounding the Grammys for, for somebody like Billie Eilish or Lizzo or somebody to be like, you know what? I'm not going to do it this year. Taylor Swift didn't even bother to show up. Yeah. uh, Which is, I think a big black eye for the great, like she's, she's, you know, one of the handful half dozen biggest pop stars in America right now. Doesn't care to be there. Uh, I, I've in last year, Ariana Grande didn't show because of all the controversy around her performance. And yeah. she, she said, no, oh, and wow. I don't think either of them took a ding on their careers for that at all. So I wonder if you're going to see pretty soon new artists who are just like, why do I, I want to, why really, would I, I bother yeah, being a part I, yeah, of this? What yeah. is it really going to do for my career? Ariana Grande's fans do not care yeah. if she has a Grammy or not. Yeah. An arbitrary trophy. 
you know, that that, uh, said, yeah. that that shows that her music is good. Yeah, exactly. It is it is a weird contra. I just feel like this year with the Grammys in particular, it just seemed like everything was sort of coming to a head and people are just kind of questioning, why are we still doing this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is there a better way to celebrate the best art of the year exactly. than to position it against other artists? Like, you know, it, it seems like there's got to be a better way to celebrate this stuff, you know? And the best things they do are those collaborate. Like when you had Lil Nas X show up with BTS, Billy Ray Cyrus, uh, Mason Ramsey, the yodeling kid and Nas, the actual Nas, big Nas X, uh, all showed up for a big collaborative <laughs> big spectacle performance. That's super cool. That's the sort of stuff I'd like to see at the Grammys where they put on, they use their money and their, their uh, access to provide these big spectacles that are actually very fun and, uh, and inspiring and show the communal yeah. uh, side of what can happen in this age of, of sort of genre fluid uh, boundary tearing down art that yeah. people can create. And I think the more time they spend on that and the less time they spend on a, giving out awards that nobody really takes seriously, yeah. the more uh, the, the more relevant the Grammys will actually end up finding themselves being. Because I don't think anybody would say that at any point in the Grammys, however long your history it's been, have ever given the album of the year award to the actual best album of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like the, the thing with like the Oscars is, is they can be sort of like hit or miss, but you can definitely see the merits for all of the nominees. Exactly. You know? Where it's the a Grammys little sometimes the is a little left field and it does feel, feel like there's more like politicking. And like you said, the, the sort of like, you know, they, they, they really sort of conflate the artist and the, and the music sometimes too. Like mm -hmm. they're, they're not necessarily rewarding the best album of the year. They're rewarding the album from the artist that was, they feel like was the most important that year. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it, mm -hmm. it, it does seem like there's a serious conflation of celebrity and art in a weird way with the Grammys, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's cool that every now and then they do kind of pluck somebody like Billy Eilish is not a natural fit for the Grammys ethos she's yeah. she's a teenager. and i feel the same way about lord a few years ago when she uh took home quite a few grammys every now and then but that just feels like sort of a desperate bid for the attention of a younger demographic yeah. who are not going to stick around for a three and a half hour award ceremony with a with what, an aerosmith run dmc <laughs> trivia like that like they're not like, like aerosmith <laughs> i rode their roller coaster one time it is weird that disney still has an aerosmith roller coaster by the way it's weird that aerosmith is in any way considered like a legacy because what are they like who outside of outside of walk this way which was a big deal yeah and and they and the don't want to miss a thing the uh, dream armageddon on. song yeah. the armageddon dream song on. dream but, but, on I guess, I guess, but are they really considered? Do you, do you talk to people who are like Aerosmith? My gut, ride or die for Aerosmith, dude. Yeah, have you ever met someone who's like, yeah, it's just a big time Aerosmith fan? No, there aren't any. It's just like Aero <laughs> no. Aerosmith is just a band that exists that everyone's just very agnostic about, right? It's it's like yeah, it, they're they're relatively safe. You know, they they yeah. they've, they put yeah. out some like you know poppy rock and roll. Steven Tyler, sort of this uh, like cartoonish figure, but it is weird. Like like I said, Disney World in Florida, there how. How? Okay, they they have <laughs> they they bring in people no from around the world. They just opened a Star Wars land, like the Galaxy's okay. Edge. They just opened a, a, a an entire park. Chandler, have you been to Galaxy's Edge there at Disney yet? Uh, no, I have not. I've, I haven't been to Disney since I was like ten years old. 
Uh, well, right. most of the people there in Florida, whenever I'm down there, everyone's talking about, you know, all these new attractions. So the, dude, you got to go the check day out the, 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 the day that Galaxy's Edge opened, like half the staff at Relevant, who are mostly in Orlando. And half the like, internet. Oh, it's I, trending I'm, on Twitter. I'm, I'm people, in late today. People are yeah. talking about, you know, they, they've got the Avatar world. They, you know, they, Disney has the greatest attractions in the world, and they have an Aerosmith roller coaster. Like, <laughs> here's a roller coaster. Like, okay, it, down the street, we got Harry Potter. We have the biggest IP in the world. We have Avatar, Star Wars. We have the MCU. We have Marvel rides here. And we have a roller coaster with a rock band of guys in their 70s who haven't put out a relevant song in literally 20 years. And we have an entire roller coaster for them. What? Who thought that was a good idea? Like, what did Disney Imagineer is like, all right, you know, I, we've got all these classics. We've got Small World. We've got Jungle Cruise. You know, they're spinning off. There's a Jungle Cruise movie with the rock and they're like, oh, you know, it'd be cool. An, an old 70s rock roller coaster. Like, the really? white, the, the, we got to get the white boomer <laughs> mediocre rock and roll demographic and somehow what are we going to do for their dads? What are we going to do for all the dads? <laughs> is there any dad that's like, yeah. oh man, I got to get to Disney to ride the new Aerosmith oh, roller coaster. Steven, Steven and the boys are back together. Got to turn on the Grammys tonight. Can't miss, can't miss my all time favorite band. I want to go to Galaxy's Edge where, you know, because I was watching on Instagram. It was all over, you know, everyone from around the world. It's all, all jazz yeah. about Galaxy's Edge. And so I was watching videos on Instagram of people like going to Disney in costume, you know, like in their Star Wars stuff, like really uh-huh. geeked out about it. I want to go to Disney and I want to be dressed as Steven Tyler. And I the just want to have the all time Aerosmith fit. Like we're there just to, just because we Dude, stand so and hard. I'm just, and I'm just I'm just chopping it up with other Disney goers, like some kid like in his Mickey Mouse stuff, like the person in Star Wars here, the person in Marvel will be like, you guys are here for your favorite. Me too. Aerosmith. I'm going over to the Aerosmith ride, guys. How's avatar because have you heard they have an aerosmith roller coaster yeah it's been here for 15 years it's unbelievable actually it's pretty standard but it's aerosmith and i'm a big aerosmith guy one of my one of my great aerosmith anecdotes is that steven tyler who lives here in nashville now is a uh, he he owns he owns a store at the mall it's a clothing store that kind of sells the steven tyler like you know wait, how wait, he kind wait, of dresses on, like, a, like a fifty Steven year old Tyler mom? of Aerosmith owns a store at the mall. At the mall, yeah. Okay. He runs he runs a clothing store at the mall, and it sells like when you see Steven Tyler, he kind of looks like a fifty year old mom from maybe the nineties, like a lot of shawls and uh, like long coats and flare pants. It, it looks like at even any has point like he can dissolve into yeah. a pile of scarfs and bracelets. <laughs> <laughs> like, like is he under there, Steven? Are you under there? <laughs> He's got a very Dame Helen Mirren vibe to him yeah. when you see him out. And uh, and apparently he's a nice guy. This isn't about his character at all. This is about what he looks like. But he, yeah. if you want to dress like Steven Tyler and you know yeah go with god if that's your thing <laughs> but if you do you can do so. You can go to his store at the mall here and it's called Free Bird by Steven Tyler. He chose the knit. He chose a song from another band. From another <laughs> <Right>. band. <laughs> <laughs> to name his clothing store at the mall after. And every time I walk by, I can't deal with it. It seems like the most offensive thing that Aerosmith has ever... It's, it's, in a way, it's like the most cynical rock and roll move of all time. 
is yeah. to cop somebody else's is to become a inexplicably huge band, but you're not even confident enough in your own legacy to pick one of your own songs to name your mall store after. You have to go after somebody else's all-time biggest song, who, to my knowledge, has no store at the Nashville Mall. <laughs> there is no Leonard Skinner is not the proprietor of a mall store. It's fascinating to me that Steven Tyler has a mall store. And so you're telling me it's mostly scarfs, bracelets, and like random turquoise jewelry. Exactly. Because that's what yeah, I picture. You've got the right, you've got the right, but it's it's very safe. It's very mall appropriate. I don't yeah. see a lot. I'm not at the mall a lot, but I don't see a lot of people in there when I walk by. I drop by the <laughs> Apple store, so I do see it. And uh, I wouldn't say it's like there's not a line around the block. Yeah. Well, I well, I real quick about that. I'm curious of how of Steven Tyler's involvement in the store. Yeah, like, I don't know. He I can't did, tell you. Like it, it, on a good day, could you go in and be like, listen, I you know, I, I really want to buy this scarf, but it seems to be damaged. I'm going to need to speak to the manager. <laughs> and like Steven Tyler walks out. Yes, can I help Tyler, you? Out of a back room. Welcome to Freebird. Can I help you? You asked to see the manager. I'm Steven He's Tyler. He's just on his desktop in the back doing inventory or whatever. And got his little name tag that says Steven on it. Whenever I walk by one of those mall stores, I've talked to this a lot, like the sword store at the mall or the yeah, stuff that's just yeah, like yeah. The, the sign out up front next it is clearly homemade and uh-huh. they just sell like weird like life-size statues of elvis and uh-huh. like you know a little ceramic you know chef decoration like weird stuff like that like yeah. giant spoons and stuff that you hang on your wall like uh-huh. when those weird stores move in and nobody's there but the store's been open for a while in my mind i always think the same thing money laundering that's just a money <laughs> like, be. like they, clearly be. they're not doing business <laughs> clearly steven tyler is using this operation to funnel you know uh, aerosmith royalties or something you know i'm no i'm not a money launderer that's true period yeah. I, I don't yeah. want anybody yeah, I, have nothing else. I, 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 yeah. I have nothing else to add no i'm not a money launderer but doesn't it seem like if you were going to do it doing it out of the mall would add an extra layer of complexity to it because if you just have <laughs> yeah. your one freestanding little car wash that's easy money goes in money goes out but, but in the mall you have to like wave hi to the security guard when you walk by and it's a perfect the kids crime. working at the orange julius up front like there's a, there's so many more eyeballs on you yeah. Yeah. No one. No. Well, and that's the thing. You're hiding in plain sight, especially <laughs> if you're Steven Tyler. <laughs> like, why is the lead singer of Aerosmith, you know, <laughs> operating this tiny mall store? You know, like clearly, clearly something's going on there. But, but he could walk, but he could walk through the store and you would just think it was it was somebody's mom coming to pick him up from the from the video game arcade. And it would take zero disguise work on his part. All you would have to say is his name is Karen. When, when is the last time either of you guys went to a mall? <laughs> have you guys been to a mall? Like it, it's uh, been a while. It's been a while. It's and been a I'll while. say this: the last time I went, it was it was it was very uh, somber. It was a somber experience. <laughs> like everything yeah. in there is just like a little weird and off. Like you just uh-huh. feel like this whole institution. You know, I'm. It, it's like the last days of the Roman Empire. It's like there, there, there's there. This may be one of the last. I mean, this may be the last generation to actually do this, right? To go it's to true. the Antonio yeah, and Prenzel, yeah. to be able to get a massage right in the middle of everyone, right in the, you know, like in one of those <laughs> little mall, you know, massage chair. It just seems like the whole the whole institution is just fading. It's very weird now. It's very weird. But <laughs> uh, I think we need to get to Jesse. You're starting to look a little bit nervous. You're, are you sweating yet? Or are you doing okay? Oh, it's, we, it's, we, it's, we've been, it's we've chest, been bantering for a while. It's chest deep. And I, none of these were in the notes. We still have a ton of shows to do. I'm a, I'm <laughs> yeah, a, I'm a dead man walking. <laughs> oh, we better take a break. We better take a break. We quick back. We're going to do a quick round of slices.
You're listening to Phase by Pine Grove. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Enough for Now. That's by Ethan Gruska featuring Phoebe Bridgers. Enough for Now. Is that how you're feeling about the amount of water you're surrounded by right now, Jesse? Not nearly enough. I will. <laughs> y- y- you'll hear. Oh. You're, you're just going to hear my line just go silent in a while. Be- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Time for our week to look at some of our favorite stories from the intersection of faith and culture-ish that we came across this week. It's time for Slices. Jesse, what do you got? All right, Chandler, this one I selected just for you. Last week on the on the podcast, we talked uh, extensively about your uh, creepy new affection for houseplants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for people that don't know and didn't listen last week, Chandler has officially changed his Instagram bio to Plant Poppy. He uh, now <laughs> yeah. spends most of his waking hours tending plants, which he is treating as if they're members of his family. <laughs> Things have gotten very odd and creepy. Yeah. And uh-huh. uh, but I do have some interesting research here that, uh, you know, Chandler, you're not alone. According to new according to new research, uh, seven in 10 millennials consider themselves, quote, plant parents. However, out of the Whoa. 2000 millennials uh, us polled here and, and for for this uh, for the sake of this study, this is people 25 to 39. Sixty seven percent. OK, these are adults. 25 years old, a 39 year old said taking care of a plant is more of a challenge than they bargained for. Many are intimidated. In fact, it said this. The average plant parent uh, in this age demographic has killed seven plants they brought into their homes. So no wonder most are intimidated. So there is actual (laughs) research that a lot of people, Chandler, the the moral of the story is this. A lot of people are have the ambitions to do what you're doing, to be a committed plant parent. But, you know, 67 percent are intimidated. What is your advice for a, a, a rookie plant parent that wants to get into this game? But they have green, they have blood on their hands already from green <laughs> potted plants into their uh, home that didn't survive. What would your advice I mean, be? I thought I was going to be one of those people where I was just killing them all, but uh, just find out the easy ones, uh, put them inside a, uh, right inside a window, and then water every week and a half. It's super easy. Well, here I'm going to read. I'm going to read something from the study. Three in ten respondents reveal one of the hardest lessons that comes with being a good plant parent is how easy it can be to accidentally kill your plant. Yeah. <laughs> how morbid! <laughs> it's just overwatering. That's that's what everyone does that kills it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, overwatering I, I, kills it. Yeah. yeah I, I, well, I if you overwater, it looks like it's dying because of underwater. So then you are compelled to give it water, and then that just uh-huh. makes it worse. And then it's an un- uh, undoable damage kind of thing, you know? Yeah. You can't, you can't correct yourself yeah, you, once you, you've done it. Can't really go back from it. Yeah. All right. Well, I, ha- I have one more slice for you guys. Uh, are, do you guys either have plans for the upcoming Super Bowl? I, are, I know both of you guys are, you know, not huge sports fans, but I mean, you're aware <laughs> yeah. of it. Are you guys doing things for the Super Bowl? Probably. I'll probably watch it. But. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, what. I don't know. I, I'll probably, I, I would imagine I'll end up at somebody's house watching the Super Bowl. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm more, as, I'm more here for the, the commercials than the actual game, but yeah, it, it's yeah. a fun overall experience, but yeah, the, for sure. yeah, it's a national experience. Like, yeah, I want to be part of the conversation. Yeah. But the beef that a lot of people have with the Super Bowl, uh, especially people who are on the younger end of the spectrum and people who are on a bit of the older end of the spectrum is uh, the day and time the Super Bowl comes on. As people know, it's Super Bowl Sunday. It comes on Sunday evening. So right. a, there is a high schooler named Frankie Rugari, 
And Frankie, he's got a beef with the NFL. He loves the Super Bowl. He's a big fan and he can't wait to watch. But it's just on too late. Like, you know, he's tired the next day. Uh, you sure. know, people people stay out late. They, they they stay up eating meatball subs all night on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> and Monday is shot. In fact, the Monday uh, after after the Super Bowl is one of the most missed days of work for the whole year. Last year alone, 17 million employees missed the day after work uh, after the Super Bowl. 17 million. That's so, a lot. so our friend Frankie has an idea. He is trying to get the Super Bowl moved over to Saturday. And right now he has launched a change.org petition over almost at this point, as of time of recording, 65,000 people have signed this to try to get the, wow. the, the recording moved, the, the, the game to be played on Saturday instead of Sunday. On paper, this works, right? It makes more sense to do on Saturday. But my thing is this, when you just start moving stuff around just because you want to, because it's better, where's the line here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, because you could say like, well, Christmas is every Saturday is, is, is always going to be on Saturdays or like, you know, it doesn't make any sense that, you know, Thanksgiving's on a mm-hmm. Thursday. Like mm-hmm. you, we can't just mm-hmm. start doing this. Right. Am, am I right? Am, am I wrong here? Like, well, I'm thinking, I think, no, I, I think you're right. I feel like Super Bowl Sunday seems like a very arbitrary thing. People, yeah. in my mind, people play in my mind still. Uh, like Saturday is kind of for college ball, and yeah. Sunday is for is for the NFL. So I get it, but also it seems like Super Bowl could throw its weight around. The Super Bowl Saturday just doesn't roll off the tongue as easily. Yeah, I think earlier would just be better. Just just bump the kickoff forward a little bit. Couldn't you yeah. do that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, hypothetically, you can do whatever. I, it seems like it's. I, I, I'm just listen. I'm not trying to be Frankie. Have a cup of coffee Monday, my man. Like <laughs> you'll be just fine. You're 16 years old. The game's over by like 10. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised a 16 yeah. year old. I was surprised that a teenager is the one like being like, ah, oh, but Monday I gotta get to work. The man is on my back about this. Like you're 16. What are you? You're not going to bed at 11 at 10 o'clock? o'clock. The game's over. Like where, where you gotta be, don't Frankie? Have, what do you have a land party or something? You're don't worry. <laughs> How far is your commute in, Frankie? Because this doesn't seem like that big a deal and now we've got sixty-five thousand people you know you got to you know you want the nfl to consider this just can we just keep super bowl sunday frankie like <laughs> it's, it's like i said have a cup of coffee it's 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 not that late in my opinion i'd buy it more if it was like some if it was like because frankie's kind of pitching himself as like a, a world weary union member down at the docks who is <laughs> who's just like had it up to here with super bowl sunday getting in the way of his shift he's got he's got mouths to feed at home and the the wife won't, won't let up and he just needs a break. I just don't buy that picture of Frankie. I, I think I'd believe it more if it was somebody who was actually put on it, like has an really does have a an early morning shift, has to get down to the train yard. I, I don't know why I'm talking about like 1930s jobs here, but sure. That's Listen, I'm, my knowledge I of the operate labor. the Aerosmith roller coaster and they start, people in Steven Tyler costumes start lining up at 6 a.m. Okay? They're angry. They travel the world to get here to ride this Aerosmith coaster. They're in costume. I got to let him in early. I don't have time to stay up all night and watch football. You know, he's not that guy. And then you could really do, if you did that, you could really do the like, the homecoming would be a bigger deal on Sunday, right? Whichever team wins, flies yeah. in, everybody lines out in the streets, you have the parade or whatever. Yeah. I feel like right now that's that's already very disruptive for a lot of teams. If you did it on Sunday, it's a little less, I mean, it might get away the church, but yeah. other than that. Yeah. 
So I don't think it'll happen this year, but but just so everyone know, I'm going to be launching a change.org petition that says the Super Bowl is just fine. Keep it where it is. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm going to start a a Kickstarter. It's buy Frankie a coffee maker. Uh, all right. So I had a, I just got one slice here and it's kind of, it's more of a, I'm assuming most people have already heard about this. Uh, but I wanted to talk, I, me and Jesse were talking about this a little bit ahead of time. And, uh, and I wanted to bring it up here because I think it's an interesting conversation piece for us and relevant. We all know Paula White. Yes. Uh, Paula White is, uh, probably according to a lot of reports, kind of the president's closest spiritual advisor right now. He, yeah. he, Takes her very seriously. She's a campaign surrogate. She's on. She actually works for the White House. She she's on White House staff, um, and she hails from the prosperity gospel wing of the American Christianity. Yeah. So that's created. That's made for some sort of interesting bedfellows. Like uh, when she released her last book, you have people like Franklin Graham, Jerry Falwell Jr. promoting it, which probably wouldn't have happened in the pre-Trump era, right? Because yeah. these were very these people came from very different parts of American Christianity. And this is, well, obviously this administration has been divisive in some ways. It's also brought together some sort of fringe elements of Christianity and mainstreamed them in some surprising ways. And that's created some interesting tensions. And I think has created is part of the story here. She was in the news because on January 5th, a clip surfaced of her praying in front of an audience, uh, which contained some language that for people not familiar with the prosperity gospel, Pentecostal, Pentecostal movement was sounded very strange, including a line about commanding all satanic pregnancies to miscarry right now. She said, this is her quote. We declare that anything that's been conceived in satanic wombs, that it will miscarry. It will not be able to carry forth any plan of destruction, any plan of harm. And you hear the, uh, the the crowd sort of uh, cheering uh, as she prays this. Uh, And this obviously caught a lot of people's attention. The clip got passed around a lot, especially sort of in, light of the president being the first sitting president to go to the March for Life, which took place just a few days after this, uh, which was seen as a really big win for the pro-life movement in America, for many people, I should say, in the pro-life movement in America, uh, then to have this clip of his campaign surrogate praying for satanic pregnancies to miscarry yeah. was seen as very bizarre and also very hypocritical. Did, did you, Chandler and Jesse, do you guys see this going around? Yeah, I did. I saw it kind of trending on Twitter and it, it's, it, I mean, and the, the thing that was striking about the the clip is, especially the one that was kind of like going viral was the limited context, you know? Yeah I, yeah. I think the one that was being shared, and I think it was the, you know, <clears throat> kind of liberal-leaning uh, feed of right-wing watch, the the blog. That's where I came across the, it, yeah. yeah. Sort of this uh, partisan watchdog uh, that shared the clip, but they, they really only shared, I want to say, like 15 or 30 seconds of it. So there wasn't a, a, yeah, a tremendous it, amount of context behind what it. What was, yeah. I mean, what wasn't there to give it a different feel. Well, so that's what I want to talk about a little bit. So yeah. she, and, and, I'll, and I'll let her speak for herself first. Um, she, uh, after this picked up a lot of attention and I would assume, I don't know this, but I would assume made some people in the white house very nervous to see this going around as well. Paula yeah. White did issue a statement. She said, I don't normally respond, but clearly this has been taken out of context. I was praying Ephesians six twelve that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, anything that has been conceived by demonic plans for it to be canceled 
and not prevail in your life. So I think what happened here, and I want to be careful because I don't want to be construed as as defending Paula White. I, I yeah, have a yeah. lot of real serious problems with, with Paula White and this administration and the way it leverages its influence among some faith groups uh, yeah. in a way that I find to be sort of cynical. Yeah. So I, this, is, this is not going to be me saying, you guys need to stop being so mean to Paula White. I do think <laughs> what you're seeing here is an example of... Uh, of a formerly fringe uh, Christian denomination that has a long history of praying in very uh, florid metaphoric ways yeah. that is some has suddenly found itself under a lot more scrutiny because of this administration, a lot more of a spotlight. And a lot of people are critiquing it without understanding the culture and even just vocabulary of the way that people in Pentecostal churches will often pray uh, and they're, you can't critique the Pentecostal church with the same lens you use to critique the Southern Baptist convention. Yeah. They're yeah. two very different movements. And, and she obviously, whatever else Paula White has done that's worthy of critique. And we've done a lot of it at relevant. I, I feel like this prayer was being taken out of context and being interpreted in, in a way that anybody familiar with this church probably wouldn't have interpreted it. Yeah. I see, I see that. I mean, I grew up in this. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, fringe ideology whatever actually i've met, I've met paula white many times there she's friends really? with my parents yeah no, i didn't know that like as a as a as a small kid yeah like yeah. I, you know go to their church and like play with her kids kind of thing and yeah. um the thing i mean the thing for me i see what you're saying where it's like you know the terminology is very strange if you're not used to it but like the thing for me is the satanic wombs plural you know what i mean where it's yeah. like i can understand what if she were to say like Satan's womb or something like that's a very strange thing to say too, but it, it's a little bit more direct at what she tried to explain it to be. Yeah. And I, I guess I can see like why people would be, you know, yeah, I can too. Like so angry about it. It sounds like she's saying, uh, you know, uh, groups of people who are satanic or something like that. Yeah. But. I mean, cause that, that would be <clears throat> obviously like a horrible thing to pray. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Before, mm-hmm. And like you said, Tyler, it's not like we're in any way sort of Paula White apologist. And I think, you know, she has a lot of very dangerous theological ideas, particularly as it pertains to like the prosperity gospel. And, yeah. you know, this sort of like this idea of like reciprocity with God, that if you do things hurt for God, he'll reward you in certain ways. And there's sort of this, uh, you know, transactional you know, kind of nature of a relationship with God. I think those are all dangerous ideas. But I do think we're in an interesting time because of you know where where the country is politically and in some of the figures that have been elevated to positions of influence who may formally been somewhat french where it, it it really does take all christians making an effort to really try to understand each other but also for someone like Paula White to be more careful to not say things like this that can get yeah, so yeah. easily misconstrued because yeah I, I grew up in in sort of uh, charismatic circles and you hear lots of these sort of like spiritual warfare you know some are metaphors some are literally talking you know literally praying yeah, about and that's it does walk a weird line sometimes where where if you're not very familiar with it, it can be hard to tell yeah when it shifts from metaphor to more literal yeah. Yeah, and to your point, Chandler, I think you're right that she left herself open both in how she, the language she used here, and obviously in her many past instances of saying some very uh, 
some bad things of saying yeah. of, of having bad takes on on how God works and how God might be using politics in this country. She left herself open for these kinds of critiques. Uh, so she kind of set herself up to be, if she is indeed being misinterpreted here, and I think she probably is on some level. Yeah, it, she left. She set herself up for it. Yeah, yeah for for yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah, and and I think that that we we all have to be cautious with how we're. You, you know, the, how comfortable we are with sort of like inside baseball, because it, uh-huh. if someone yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. have like a proper or not even a proper doesn't have like the same sort of upbringing or theological context for something you say, it can be really, uh, you know, confusing in this case, offensive. Like if she was actually mm-hmm. praying for literal babies to be miscarried, that's an awful, awful thing. And, it's an and, awful, it's a bad metaphor yeah. in regard, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, even yeah. non-literal, it's a bad way to, uh, it's, it's just a really chilling way to, to, yeah, to describe to say, for sure. spiritual yeah. warfare, which yeah. is, is what it sounds like she was trying to pray. Yeah. Like the Bible doesn't say to pray. I don't think, I don't, to my knowledge, the Bible never has any sort of language along those lines, but, and it's, conversation in its own language about spiritual warfare yeah yeah it's definitely an interesting interesting time culturally when one day you can see something like you know uh spiritual miscarriages or whatever like trending on twitter and suddenly you know half the country is having this conversation about this sort of interesting and kind of weird you know kind of theological idea but I, i but again i i I don't want to be like overly like cynical about how to engage conversations like this either. I think it just it's a reminder that when you when you critique and it's very easy to critique right now and and I'm not saying and I, and I think people should critique the things that Paula White teaches because I think there's a lot of problems in it, but you need to do it from a place of wisdom and and knowing what you're talking about and yeah. I've seen a lot of and it's not just this this is an example of it, but I've seen a lot of people and and media outlets that should know better engaging with uh with some christian teachings and and christian traditions that are worthy of being criticized but you you've got to know you've got to have a better understanding of of how you're doing it and and why you're doing it and what the actual teaching is and how it's been practiced for the last uh 100 150 years of american particularly fundamentalism and evangelicalism as it often is here and of course pentecostalism and i i I hope that people start getting better at that because I think these, and there are some people who are doing a really good job and this is not a blanket statement. There's some really great reporting and, and, and uh, religion, religion coverage out there, even from big media outlets that has done excellent at it. But there's also been some sort of, uh, some non-nuanced takes on this. And this is an opportunity for people who've, many people are listening to this podcast who've been Christians for a long time, who are probably very familiar with these movements to to speak into it, use your expertise and to do a, to help shine a light in a thoughtful, nuanced, informed way on yeah. what's happening instead of the blanket praise or criticism that this, that this sort of stuff often gets. And, and, and I think that is the important thing is to, is to remain like, sort of have try to take a good faith approach to understand what people are saying and don't just, you know, always assign like the worst case, worst possible, uh, you know, intention on what people are saying, because when you do have legitimate criticism and you do have things that, uh, you know, you want to address, it it helps you kind of maintain that credibility. If people know that you're approaching every one of these ideas 
in the most good faith posture possible, not just being like, gotcha, let's make you go viral and make you look dumb. You know what I mean? Like, let's mm-hmm. actually engage with the substance of this, even if it's if it's kind of a, a, a little weird or outside of, you know, what my background right. is, because you can actually engage with the substance of the idea and not just kind of, you know, be part of a pile on, which is exactly. very which tends to happen a lot these days. You know, yeah. it's easy. It's easy. <sighs> Okay. Well, thanks for indulging that. Uh, I thought that was interesting. And, and uh, I, I know the moment on the Paula White thing is kind of past, but it had me thinking a lot about this kind yeah, of stuff. For so, sure. so thanks for delving into it with me, guys. That'll do it for Slices. We're going to take another break. When we come back, Corey Asbury joins us. I can never fail. The Bible uses the word Christian to describe followers of Jesus a grand total of three times. But there's another identifier that fills the pages of the New Testament, a word we've mistakenly reserved for the halo-wearing elite, losing something profound in the process. Saints. Wrapped in this ancient word is a divine invitation to discover who God created you to be and awaken to the life you were meant to know. Using scripture and stories from his own experience, Addison Bevere makes a compelling case that the life you desire is found in the mystery of this sacred identity. To learn more, visit addisonbevere.com. Available wherever books and ebooks are sold. You're listening to Speed Me Up by Wiz Khalifa, featuring Ty Dolla Sign and Lil Yachty. That's from the Sonic the Hedgehog soundtrack. I, that's where I yoinked that one from. <laughs> A hey, timeless man. Sonic stand like myself had to. Had bring to the heat, To man. my man. To my yeah. man. Yeah. Sonic. Well, Corey Asbury is a singer, songwriter, worship leader, and the author of the new book, A 40-Day Journey into the Overwhelming, Never-Ending Love of God. Jesse, you recently spoke with Corey about the devotional and the power of understanding God's love. Yeah, I, it was, you know, like you said, we, we had Corey on a couple of weeks ago to kind of guest co-host with us. We, we had some fun, but I really did want to uh, spend a little bit of time to talk about the book because, um, you know, he... Corey became such like a, a, an influential figure once the song Restless Love uh, uh-huh, came yeah. out. And, you know, it's such a powerful song. And it really, you know, at the heart of the song, it's about God's love and God helping us through kind of difficult times. And, you know, he wanted to kind of frame the book, which is inspired by the song, in a way that would actually help people to grow spiritually based on that idea. That, you know, this is, you know, he calls it like a 40 day journey. So you go through the book and it actually kind of um, uh, underscores some of the big ideas in the song, which really have to do with a loving God caring for people that live in sort of a fallen world. Here's how Corey kind of described the way the song inspired the book. I really wanted people to grab hold of the things that I was learning in writing the song. Because the, the song was birthed out of three, four, five kind of major events of my life. 
So the Lord was teaching me, you know, three, four, five pretty big lessons in that time. And I thought to myself, okay, this could be an amazing opportunity to actually bring people into some of those things that I was learning, you know, with the impact of the song, people, you know, reaching out saying, oh man, it touched me so, so deeply. I was like, huh, what if I could actually go deeper with the message and, and touch people on a, on a, you know, kind of a more intense level. So, you know, if I had to sum up (laughs) in just a few sentences, what the content of the book actually is, I think it would be finding the goodness of God, the kindness of God through the hard stuff of life. That's, that's a really like powerful concept, obviously. It's like God is good even when life is hard, you know? Um, but it's challenging ultimately to write a book that's about suffering, right? I mean, it, it, you oh, know, I, not a lot yeah. of people think that the, oh, suffering is a topic I just want to engage in. That the catalyst for my growth, this 40-day journey that this book kind of positions itself on is suffering. But as Corey explains it, it's not till we kind of really understand God in suffering that we get a full picture of who he is or what he can mm-hmm. do for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's how he explained it. If I said that as the marketing pitch, people would be pretty annoyed with me, but I honestly, I feel like that's what it is. It's, it's learning to see God's kindness, even when things aren't perfect, because that's when the real stuff of life hits. And that's when we find out who we really are. You know, it's, it's the Romans five, three reality. It tells us to rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and all those other things. Um, but I think sometimes society tells us to be fake, to put on a happy face and, uh, you know, the outward expression of, oh, I'm great, brother. You know, I'm doing well and a happy Instagram post with all of our family smiling and it's all good. But, you know, the truth is we actually go through really difficult stuff. And in that difficult stuff, how are we going to respond to God? Because I've seen, you know, 90 percent of my friends who really dealt with something tough, actually turn away from God and offense instead of turning toward him in love and trust and faith. And so hopefully, you know, this book can, can get into some of those real issues of honesty before God and, and learning to love and appreciate his kindness, even when stuff sucks. (laughs) Tyler, you and I read a lot of, of new books that come out in kind of like the, the area of faith and obviously, you know, kind of, have an awareness of a lot of the the popular kind of messages that are that that are inspiring people right now. But do you feel like there is sort of a lack of discussion about the role that suffering plays in growth? Because when I was digging into his book and, and him and I were having this conversation, it really did kind of dawn on me that it's not something I think about a lot because it's a hard thing to think about. Yeah, I, I think that there's maybe sort of an awareness. There's like a cliche about it, like, oh, the hardest times in my life or what made for the biggest opportunities for growth. I think people say that, but I don't think we really mean it a lot of times because so much of our day to day life is about avoiding suffering. And, yeah. and so much of like the current like self care, uh, uh, like mental wellness craze, uh, which I think is, has a lot of really good things about it, but also it, it tends to ignore the value and importance, not always, but a lot of times tends to the value and importance that suffering does have on your life and the way that it does shape you in ways that nothing else can. And I think that's, so I'm glad that Corey's talking about it. Yeah, for sure. And that's, and that's why, you know, I I was excited that he kind of took this direction with the book, because as he explains in this next clip, you know, 
the part of why he felt called to write it and what he hopes it will do for people who, who end up engaging with it is to help them better understand suffering, not just so that they better understand pain, but they can better understand, you know, God's love, which really yeah. transcends that. And here, here's, here's how Corey explained that. If I'm honest with you, I do believe that there is a pretty dangerous false doctrine, especially in the Western church that says, you know, Jesus suffered, so I don't have to. <laughs> and, and the truth of the matter is that's, that's error. Um, Jesus took the punishment for our sin, but I don't believe he raptured us out of all human suffering because scripture makes it really clear. He says, it's almost a promise in this world, you will have trouble. (laughs) It's not like he said, oh, everything's going to be great and your life's going to be blessed because you follow me. Um, In fact, he he set the example of what it means to be human. And he was the guy who went to the cross, (laughs) you know, in, in, in the garden of Gethsemane, it's like, he cries out to the father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. So this shows that suffering did in fact suck in the moment. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it wasn't fun for Jesus. He wasn't like, oh, this is great. I can't wait to go to the cross, dad. You know, it, it showed that it was difficult in his uh, humanity because we know that Jesus was fully God and fully man. So in his humanity, he's dealing with the pain of it. But he shows us he is the perfect example of how to be human. He is uh, the image of the father that unravels the existence of humanity. And again, society, yeah, tells us to be fake. But I I love this idea I've been kind of stirring on lately. You know, in the Bible, people wore sackcloth and ashes. You know, if you're familiar with that idea, it's when they were going through mourning or something difficult or they're showing repentance for wrongdoing. And it was this outward expression to God and their communities saying, I'm not okay. You know, I'm not good right now. And they dealt with it in a healthy way and an honest and even an outward way. And I think nowadays we try to hide it all and and think, you know, Jesus dealt with that. So I, I don't have to, but it's just, it's not the truth. It's such a good message. It's so, uh, you know, like we were talking about earlier, it's one of those messages that's just counter to what you hear a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Corey's mm-hmm. not afraid to call out what he, what he sees as his false teaching that, you know, Jesus kind of assures this sort of pain-free, easy life. You know, this book really challenges that. It's such a cool, the way it's structured, like I said, sort of this 40-day um, journey that, that it takes you on really does challenge uh, you in a lot of really interesting, powerful ways, particularly as it pertains to God's love through really tough seasons. So the book's called Reckless Love, and it's out now it's by Corey Asbury. Oh, man. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to digging into that. That was Corey Asbury. Next up, we have a preview of Called Season 2. Boring people, boring lies. Wake up to the same Evangelical Church in America has reached a cultural crossroads. Many of the virtues that many of us believed were a central piece of our religious heritage have been hijacked and used for political or cultural gain. Amy Peterson's latest book, Where Goodness Still Grows, traces the virtues from their original meanings and imagines what it could look like for us to embrace and celebrate them today. Author Sari Bessie shares, Where Goodness Still Grows is one part lament one part hope and entirely necessary for these days. 
Download the free discussion guide and free chapter at amypeterson.net. You're listening to Boring People by L. Divine. We're not the boring people. The song... The song is You just listen to a song titled Boring People. I am not boring. I am the assistant manager of Steven Tyler's Nashville Mall Store. It's a thrilling job. Spend most of my day folding scarves and polishing turquoise stones that he uses in nose rings. Aerosmith fans from all over the world. Lighting up. Lighting. I'm not boring. <laughs> Two, three, four at a time. I'll be honest. Take this the one ride here, of their lifetime. This one here, I'm not even sure is if it's a very large scarf or a small cape. Don't know, but uh, it's just one of the many cool things we have here. Uh, <laughs> now I know this looks like a warlock spear. This is actually a microphone holder that Stephen Tyler will, will use. Got, I don't know why it has 15 blades and scarves blowing everywhere. It looks like a sailboat regatta flying through, but uh, it's this microphone pole, and uh, it costs five thousand dollars. So we got ourselves a deal. Yeah. If you line up, if you lined up Stephen Tyler and Liv Tyler. For sure, more people know who Liv Tyler is than Stephen Tyler, Absolutely. right? Like, it's yeah, not even close, generation. right? Yeah. The whole Aerosmith thing was maybe just preparation. They walked so Liv Tyler could run. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, each week on the Called Podcast, our friend Josh Turner and a panel of hosts, leaders, and pastors discuss the issues that modern church leaders deal with on a daily basis, from practices that can lead to spiritual growth and to protecting ministries from abuse to world-shaping leadership advice. Each episode features leading writers, thinkers, and pastors discussing the lessons they've learned. In the season two premiere, which drops this week, Rebecca Lyons joins us to discuss the ways to avoid getting burned out. Here is a preview of Called Season 2 with Rebecca Lyons. Well, I'm not a senior pastor at a church, but I have kind of had a pastoral shepherding role really in my my vocation for the last, uh, let's see, eight years. And what I find in a lot of leaders that have that heart for other people is they're the last to take care of themselves. And so we experience burnout. Um, Studying research, honestly, for this project, uh, I was shocked to see that 77% of of society today experiences physical symptoms of stress. So that's almost four out of five of us. And that's not even just looking at pastors. I would say for pastors, it's probably a little higher than that. Yeah. But just this idea of output, 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 output at all times and um, no room for input. And really, honestly, this book is it's framed with these four rhythms for sustained emotional, spiritual, relational health. But the interesting thing about it is the order, right? Like yeah, the, for the sure. four rhythms are rest, rest, restore, connect, and create. And rest and restore are input rhythms because it's just a reminder that why the reason why we're so strung out with these physical symptoms, which often look like shallow breathing, racing thoughts, um, our heartbeats are uh, increased, uh, sleepless nights. It just starts to affect every area of our lives. And so the book and these rhythms are really just an invitation back to rest and restore, to be replenished. Um, my story, like yeah. real quick, uh, is that I had panic disorder 10 years ago when we moved from Atlanta to New York City with our three kids that were in elementary school at the time. Yep. And 
I had never had a history of that. I didn't have any history of mental illness or any history of anxiety or insomnia or claustrophobia that I was aware of at all. Was there something that triggered it or you just think it was like kind of compiling stress or? Yeah, I think it was chronic. See, one thing I've learned is that there's, there's, tra- there's traumatic moments that yep. kind of shape, shape something in your brain and your brain tries to um, protect you from that memory or that hardship or whatever. But then there's also something called chronic trauma, which is a long-term extended stressful environment that you just find yourself in. And I, I would say most pastors <laughs> find themselves in these roles where they have to always be... Um, addressing hard things, yeah, you know, sure. whether it's funerals, weddings, um, counseling, uh, someone's in a crisis moment, you know, you're kind of the one who takes the brunt of a lot of those things and wears that hat. And, and one definition of trauma, quite frankly, is anything beyond the bounds of nurture. So, and, and what nurture, what that means is like when something in your life is either too much or not enough. Right. Yeah. And most of us grew up in an environment where we might have had too much of one thing, but not enough of something else. Yeah. So, so that's just to say that, hey, this is normal. You're not alone. This isn't like shaming or like, hey, you're struggling emotionally and you must be strange. No, this is such a common conversation now, thankfully, so yes. that we can actually start to put these tools in place for health. And that's what this, that's what this is about. Well, what I love so much about your book was honestly your, your transparency in it. And everything that you talked about, the like you talked about the panic disorder and, you know, kind of having those moments. What were some of the very practical things for you, you know, for everyone listening? What were some of the practical things for you that really started helping you when you would have those moments of panic? Or you talking, I think in one, you're in an elevator. Um, like, yeah. wh- what are those moments or what were some of the things that you found in your life that really helped you during that season? Well, the only way you can combat uh, claustrophobia, for example, yeah. or anything that you're afraid, afraid of is exposure. So while the temptation would be really? to avoid a- and redirect, you actually have to keep facing the fear. So so bravery is moving scared. So a lot of times, That's good. because what will happen is if we keep shrinking back from getting on an elevator, letting it shut, letting us be alone in it. Um, is that that the power of that fear just continues to grow to where I would start taking nine flights of stairs, not just two, right? Because I just could not. And so it took a rewiring to go, nope, I'm going to set intention right now and choose to trust that uh, while I would rather just take the stairs because I've gotten very used to that, I need to trust that I am not always in control of every situation and I need to be vulnerable. And I need, and if, if for some, for me, it was on a flight. You know, I had my first panic attacks on planes and now I have to get on a plane every week to talk about the rescue of God. And don't, let me tell you like that, that irony is not lost on me (laughs) that God's like, the place of panic is now a sanctuary in the sky. But, but that, but that meant I had to still keep getting on an airplane. And if it meant, you know, fill my earbuds with worship or read the word and meditate on the truth of that. He is my peace. I can come under his covering of peace that the enemy doesn't get to, to rob and steal and kill uh, and destroy this uh, freedom that Christ has paid for. That was our preview of call season two with Rebecca Lyons. 
Yeah. Hey. I know it's not I know it's not spelled the same way, but I love their last name. Lions. It's so cool. It makes it me think. Very cool. Very They're not actually lions, again, but they but but they have a lion like appetite for wisdom. Yeah. They're uh Next up, Daniel Tigers. <laughs> no, uh, no it, it, definitely people need to check out. If, if, even if you're not in ministry, if you know someone in, in ministry or any kind of leadership, honestly, in church leadership, that's who really this you know, kind of podcast is, is aimed for. But I have so much fun being a part of this one and getting to kind of sit in on some of this leadership advice. Because as people just heard from Rebecca, even if they aren't necessarily like maybe a ministry leader themselves, just their tips and perspective of about avoiding burnout and, and and kind of staying focused on things that are important. Such great advice. It's called season two. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. It is out this week. And hey, many thanks to Corey Asbury for joining us again this week. His book, Reckless Love, is out right now. You can and should go pick it up. Also, thanks to Rebecca. Uh, we're always so glad to have Rebecca Lyons on this podcast. And she, she's so gracious with her time and her wisdom. Called Season 2 will be out this week. I think you all will really, really appreciate it, especially if you're really interested in the way the church is moving and changing. Uh, this is an indispensable podcast, but it also just has a lot of really cool people and cool cool conversations on it for anybody, whether yeah. or not you're in the actual industrial church side of things. Uh, and hey, as long as you're on our uh, our Relevant podcast page, Relevant Daily is there too. That comes out. It's about 10 minutes, Monday through Friday, where we talk about the biggest stories at the intersection of faith and culture. Don't miss that. If you want to be a well, faith and in culture informed uh, denizen of, of the internet and polite society... We have a good time putting that one together. Yeah, every day, every day, every week. Every day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Wednesday calls. We got a full podcast lineup too for many. people. You know, too, too many. I think we've, I think we need to tap the brakes. And well, <laughs> we've gone overboard. Speaking of tapping the brakes, we, we we keep pushing it down the road. It's not. It's because we, we have these packed shows lately. We've had multiple guests and all this stuff going on. But we are going to get back to our Indiana Pizza Club mystery that we've been. We, we we've you know. Uh, we've been putting this off of the Friday show. If you've been listening and you want an update on the mystery surrounding the Indiana pizza club and their strange feud with CCM legend, Sandy Patty, we have some inside info that we'll bring to you on Friday. This started out as kind of a lark, but it has turned into a real investigation. Chandler, I know we asked for a little, uh, a, a little true crime podcast type jingle to introduce uh, Patty Gate. Uh-huh. Uh, you, have, you have a few days to get that together <laughs> I, yet. I, 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 I hope it. <laughs> I've already forgotten that we've decided to call this Patty Gate. <laughs> it, it is. And if you live, if you live in Anderson, Indiana, do not worry. The truth is coming. We, we have left no stone unturned no, in our investigation yeah. of what happened to your economy. What uh, we, we, have we will deliver is, the goods. Is, is, you know, it's nothing shocking. short of shocking. Yeah. It's, 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 it's illegal. It's unconstitutional, for sure. Uh, and we will, <laughs> we will look forward to revealing uh, the full truth. The full truth in you just a that. few days. Something unconstitutional. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until then, we'll see you then. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Jesse Carey. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see I'm you I'm the Friday. assistant night manager at Stephen Tyler's new mall store. Reverb. You got a disc. Buy one, get one. Scarves. Turquoise only. See you there. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from The Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. Hurry! <laughs> Wrap it up! Get to the next segment! Relevant Podcast Network.